Today, I want to wrap up our series, Fight for Your Family. Next week, I'm going to kick off a new series called Change My Heart. And we're going to be looking at the biblical character of Jacob and talking about how God can change our heart in some different areas of our lives. It's going to be fantastic. I hope you're going to be here next week for the kickoff of that new series. But today, we're talking about fighting for our families. You know, you have to fight for your family. If you're going to have a strong, healthy, vibrant home, if you're going to have um, great kids, if you're going to have a dynamic marriage, that's not something that just comes easily. It's something that we have to fight for. And uh, the scripture has so much to say to us about how we can do that. And I want us to look today at the, the very interesting topic. Today's going to be very interesting. We're going to talk today about how to talk to kids about sex. Can I get a witness today? Somebody say amen. Isn't that good? So the Bible is so practical. And the more I read the Bible, the more I love how the Bible speaks so specifically about things that sometimes we might assume that's not in the Bible. But the Bible gives us so much practical wisdom on how to build the family and how to build the home. And I want us to look today at Proverbs chapter 5, 6, and 7. Uh, it's actually uh, in three chapters uh, Solomon writing to his sons details some powerful wisdom about how kids can stay out of trouble by avoiding uh, sexual sins. And uh, it's, it's, it's so great. I think it's actually one of the biggest themes in the book of Proverbs. A lot of times we think about the book of Proverbs, we think about, you know, trust in the Lord and lean not on your own understanding. And we think a, a friend, you know, sticks closer than a brother and iron sharpens iron and all that's in there too. And that's awesome. But chapters five, six, and seven are mostly wisdom, wisdom for kids and for parents, how to teach kids. You know, the scripture has uh, been so clear to us for a couple thousand years, several thousand years, that uh, God's plan for marriage and sex is between one man and one woman in the context of marriage. And we're going to see that backdrop here in Proverbs chapter 5, 6, and 7. But let's be honest, the talk, talking to kids about sex is an awkward thing. I, I did an informal survey a few years ago, and I asked some of my friends, hey, tell me, how did your parents talk to you? How did they give you the talk? And uh, one of my friends said that uh, their parents tried to illustrate everything by using fruits and vegetables. And I was like, wow, that's, that's, that's taking creativity to a new level, you know. Um, one of my friends, when I was in middle school, his dad didn't really want to talk to him. And so he bought him the Time Life book series. And uh, he had a big encyclopedia on his bookshelf. And his dad had folded down the pages that he was to privately read. And then he, you know, shared those pages with me, you know, it was very interesting. Um, <clears throat> one of Gina's friends uh, got, uh, I guess, to be like 12 or 13 years old, and her mom got her a Hallmark card, and it said, you're becoming a woman. How nice. That's a nice touch, isn't it? She gave her like a, uh, some feminine products. She gave her like a keychain, a pencil, and like a ring, maybe a bumper sticker. I don't know what it was, something like that. And, you know, her mom came in, turned the TV off, we're going to talk very seriously, like, oh my gosh, what did I do? You know, that kind of thing. Um, uh, one of my friends, uh, their, uh, her mom tried to, you know, wanted to talk to her when she was in her 20s, like right before her wedding night. You know, she's kind of like, mom, we maybe should have had this conversation a little bit earlier, but, but um, 
it's, it's, it can be a very awkward conversation, but it can be a great conversation. It can be an awesome thing. I want us to look today at four principles from Proverbs that are going to help us build strong families. Because again, we have to fight for our families. And if we're going to fight for our families, we got to know what God wants to say to us about this very significant and important topic. You may be thinking, well, why should I care about the sexual decisions of my kids? It's a great question. There's a lot of reasons. One reason is that um, girls especially are, are more likely to have lower self-esteem if they're having sex prematurely. Um, unexpected pregnancy. Uh, sexual bonds can be formed that surround unhealthy relationships. And that can be a, a huge problem. You know, sometimes you see people that are dating and you're like, why is she with him? That guy is such a terrible guy. Well, you know, when you start sleeping with somebody, you got a strong bond. And sometimes it's hard to pull away from that. But the biggest reason that we ought to be talking to kids about sex is because it's sin. And sin separates us from God. So how can we do this? How can we do this carefully? How can we do this wisely? What does scripture have to say to us? I want us to look beginning in verses 1 through 6. Solomon, the wisest man that ever lived, said this, Take responsibility for your kids. Take responsibility. Now, the Journal of Adolescent Health recently put out an article that discovered that teenage girls who are close to their moms are more likely to stay virgins until they're married. And the study also indicated that parents that were involved in their kids' life, that ate dinner regularly with their kids, knew their, knew their friends, and also strongly disapproved of premarital sex, those were the kids that were more likely to stay out of sexual sins. And this study went on and on and on. It wasn't a Christian study that, that, that uh, indicated this. But isn't it interesting that um, what was indicated in this study is what Proverbs chapter 5, verse 1 and 2 has been saying for several thousand years. Um, Solomon wrote, My son, pay attention to my wisdom. Listen carefully to my wise counsel. And then you will learn to be discreet and will store up knowledge. And basically he's saying, parents, take responsibility, take ownership for the direction that you're going to teach your kids. Um, he says, my son, pay attention to my wisdom and my counsel. In other words, if you're a mom or a dad, you have responsibilities to try to instruct and to teach your kids. And yes, kids make their own decisions and kids sometimes do what we tell them to do and sometimes they don't. But that doesn't let us off the hook. Moms and dads have a spiritual and a sacred responsibility to point the direction that the kids are to go. And we should not try to get around that. Um, let's don't let other people influence our kids more than we do. It's easy to say, well, you know what, I'm going to let them have that talk at school. I'm going to let um, other people, even the church, I'll let the church talk to my kids about that. Um, let's don't let other people define the culture of our family. Let, let, let's, take, let's take ownership, let's take responsibility for what God has put underneath us. Um, sometimes we, we say this with naivety, uh, well, maybe it's not that important. Um, we sometimes say, well, somebody else can do it. It's an awkward talk. I'm embarrassed. Um, nobody talked with me about it, so you know, maybe I don't know what to say. Sometimes we look back at past mistakes that we've made 
And I've had adults ask me this. You know, Ryan, I, I didn't do what the Bible said. Am I still, do I still need to try to talk to my kids? And let me ask you the question. Have you ever got a speeding ticket? Anybody? Yeah. And, and have you told your kids or would you tell your kids don't speed? Most of us would say, yeah, absolutely, right? Have you ever made a bad grade on a test? Have you ever made a, gotten a bad grade in a, in a class? Yeah, everybody's like, amen, yes, absolutely, yeah. That doesn't mean that you can't challenge your kids uh, to, to do better academically, amen? So, so don't look at your life and say, well, I made some really bad mistakes and I wish I wouldn't have done that. But now I can't teach my kids that because it doesn't work that way. We teach our kids based on the good things that we've done and also the mistakes that we've made. And in fact, if you've made some mistakes, you may have some extra, some extra reason maybe to, to, to maybe communicate to your kids, don't do what I did. Because listen, this got me into a lot of trouble. Let's do it. Let's do what God has called us to do. Let's take responsibility for the home and let's, let's, let's take advantage of those opportunities. We ought to start talking to kids young and the conversation should always evolve. Um, I don't think that when scripture talks about this, this is a one-time conversation. Like, let me check the box off as a parent. Got that behind me. It's an ongoing conversation, right? It's like we, we, we talk about it and then... You know, we need to talk about it a little bit more, and then we talk about it indirectly, and then we might talk about it directly, and then something comes up on the news, or, or a situation happens in the neighborhood at school, and then we talk about it a little more there, and, and, and sometimes it's planned, and sometimes it's more spontaneous, but, but, but we're constantly pointing kids in the right direction. Listen, we can't, we can't raise godly kids by talking about certain things one time. That basically says it's not really that important. I talk to my kids about Jesus all the time. Because why? It matters. It matters. So we have this ongoing conversation. Let, let's take responsibility. Let's say, you know what? I want to do everything in my power to point my kids in the right direction and to help them make the best decisions possible in this very tough time that we live. Here, here's the second thing. Train your kids to run from temptation. Now look at this in Proverbs chapter 5, verse 3. The lips of an immoral woman are sweet as honey, and her mouth is smoother than oil, but the result is bitter as poison, sharp as a double-edged sword. Her feet go down to death. Her steps lead straight to the grave, for she does not care about the path to life. She staggers down a crooked trail and doesn't even realize where it leads. So now, my sons, listen to me. Never stray from what I'm about to say. Check it out. Run from her. Don't go near the door of her house. So what do we teach kids? We teach kids to run from temptation. Solomon's saying, listen, there's a lot, there's a lot of women. Okay, now guys do this too. But Solomon's warning, he's talking to his sons. Guys, look, there's a lot of women that are sweet talkers. They're going to flatter you. You're so big and strong. You're so hot. I've never dated anybody like you. You're so special. 
Be careful. Be careful. What is flattery? Flattery is, is giving compliments, but, but, but it's not sincere because it's compliments to get something else that we want. So we flatter. Run from it. Don't toy with it. Don't play with it. We need to teach our daughters if some guy's coming up flattering them, giving them all these compliments, you know. Some, sometimes we're so desperate for the attention, we're like, that makes me feel so good. But Solomon says, no, look, 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 guys. The path that that leads to is the path of destruction. Don't do it. Don't go near the door of her house. In other words, get away. Get away from there. Don't, don't even entertain it. Um, so what do we need to be teaching our kids in terms of discretion on who to date? I think the, the first and the most foundational question is, are they a Christian? We need to teach Christian kids to date Christian kids. I see this all the time where really great Christian kids grow up in the church, love the Lord, and they start dating somebody who has absolutely no spiritual interest and I've been watching this as a pastor for more than 20 years. And the path that that leads to is people marry people that aren't Christians. And then one spouse is frustrated because they want to go to church and they want to love the Lord. And the other one doesn't. But if we would have just looked at the whole past, we could have seen that this was not a good path to be on. Are they a Christian? Um, when I'm talking to some of our students and they're like, I got a new boyfriend. And I'm like... I got one question. Is he a Christian? And sometimes I'll have the girls say to me in the youth group, they'll say, Pastor, I don't know. And I'm like, well, wait a second. If you don't know, then it's probably not that important to them, right? And like, how can you not know? Like, you know, listen, when you're a follower of Jesus, you know, right? You talk about it, like you think about it. I was at church last weekend. Hey, I was at this Bible study. I mean, if you're a Christian, you know it. So if you don't know, that already tells you something about the person. You know, and sometimes people think, well, you know, if I just date them long enough, I can get them to church. And then that doesn't work. It doesn't work. We need to teach kids to run, to run from temptation and to run from situations that are going to be destructive. How do they dress? You know, today... A lot of kids, what's short, what's skimpy, what's revealing, what's tight, whatever, is so trendy. When guys come into a room and there's 10 girls there and there's eight girls that are dressed modestly and two of them that are not, this kind of guy in Proverbs chapter 3, Proverbs chapter 5, there's a little radar. No, 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 Hey, honey, how you doing? You know, modest dress communicates something about who we are. We should teach our kids. Put some clothes on. Amen? It's a good thing. A very good thing. You will ward off these kinds of people by just dressing like the faith that you claim to profess. Watch out for the flattery. What kind of reputation does that person have? Listen, only Jesus can change people's hearts. You can't. Jesus can. 
So we ought to let people experience Jesus and then we'll consider dating them, not trying to work some deal and miracle and let's see what, what, it may ha- what may happen if I date somebody that's not a Christian. I mean, it, it, just, it just doesn't work out that well. It really doesn't. Um, parents, give, give, give kids direction on who to date. You know, my dad was funny. My dad told me one time, we had these family friends and um, he, the dad was a minister at our church. And my dad really liked his daughter who was a year younger than me. And he said, Ryan, if you will date Rachel, I will pay for every single date. I was like, Dad, um, that's a great offer. Could I take out Deanna and maybe have the same money? Nope, it's just for Rachel. So I took her out one time and I was like, Dad, I really appreciate that. She's just not that cute, you know. But my dad was trying to give me some direction, and that, that's a good thing. I, I, you know, I, I know that you may not be able to pick out all your kids' boyfriends and girlfriends, and that's okay. But we ought to point them in the right direction, right? Like, hey, you know what? This is a really nice Christian girl. She's got some really nice parents. Why don't you go talk to her instead of maybe some of those other kids? That's a good thing. That's, that's wisdom with parents. And we ought to teach kids to run from temptation. Joseph is the classic example of this in the Old Testament. Joseph is working for a man named Potiphar. Joseph's like 6'2", 195, super good looks. You know, women drool in his presence. The wife of Potiphar comes and hits on Joseph. Joseph's got like his opportunity to be the man, you know, and he's like, I'm not going to I'm not going to sleep with you. And she's like begging him. The Bible says actually every day. Can you imagine the temptation? Every single day, somebody's like pounding on your door saying, come with me. And Joseph's like, no way. So she tries to grab him one time. Joseph runs so quick that he leaves his cloak behind. I mean, come on, that's some fast running, amen? That's like Usain Bolt kind of stuff, right? Out of there. That's a good thing. Don't talk about it. You don't even need to think about it. When you get around flattering people, when you get around tempta- temptation, just start, just start jogging. I'm going to get out of here. I'm going to move. See you later, you know? No, no need to even talk. Let's just, let's just run. Train our kids to run from temptation. Here's another thing we ought to do. Train our kids, teach our kids, or talk to our kids about the consequences of sexual sin. Now, in a minute, we're going to see the advantages of doing things God's way. But for just a moment, this is the stuff that doesn't make the movies. Okay? The next time you see Ryan Reynolds on the big screen, this ain't going to be in the movie. Okay? Check it out. This didn't make it in the script. Number one in verse 10, he says, keep your wealth. You know, like, you get into a lot of financial problems when you start sleeping with people that you're not married to. Look at this. Strangers will obtain your wealth, and someone else will enjoy the fruit of your labor. This is talking probably about extortion, but the same is true. I was thinking about this week. You know, you, you have a child with somebody you're not married to. You, you're, you're in custody battles. you got lawyers all over the place. You are spending some crazy money trying to get yourself out of a really tough situation. This is all right from the Bible. He says, keep your wealth. Secondly, he says, uphold your health. In chapter five, verse 11, afterwards you will groan in anguish when disease consumes your body. I mean, let's be honest today. 
There's a lot of diseases out there. We have between 30 and 40 STDs that are spread through promiscuity. And these are destructive. Uh, HPV is uh, the leading cause of cervical cancer in women today. About 79 million Americans have it. 14 million a day, 14 million a year get it. Um, they say that most people who are sexually active will, will get it at some point in their life. It's not good. In the 1960s, there were two main STDs, and you could take a penicillin shot and you could get better. Uh, and it, it wasn't as, as bad. Today, man, it's wheels off. So many reasons. We need to be teaching our kids the reality. You know, um, this is the kind of stuff nobody wants to talk to, but yet when you get down this path and you get in this situation, whoo, it hurts. Uh, number three, value your reputation, okay? I have come to the brink of utter ruin, and now I must face public disgrace. I mean, you know, when you get in sexual sin, it's kind of embarrassing, isn't it? It's embar Even if you're not a Christian, it's embarrassing. Uh, we see this all the time with people in the public spotlight. I know it happens with people that are not famous too, but we tend to see it more. Uh, when it's in the media and the news, how many people have ruined their reputations because sexual sin? Tiger Woods, top of the world, amazing golfer. He started having all these affairs. It came out that he had had that relationship with the prostitute and the pancake waitress. I'm like, wow, that's like, I will sleep with anybody, you know, pancake waitresses, prostitutes, whatever, you know. And it, it, devastated his golf career now he's made a little bit of a comeback you know now but I mean it ruined his marriage it's tough it's tough it ruined his reputation when we go down the path of sexual sin it can destroy our reputation we see it with politicians Arnold Schwarzenegger had the affair with the maid you know and they had the child and and then uh, his wife divorced him embarrassed him I mean that guy Anthony Weiner you know, the New York congressman was sexting with the minor. By the way, if your daughter ever says she's dating a guy named Wiener, tell her to run. <laughs> That's bad. It's real bad. And uh, he got embarrassed, and then after that, he decided he was going to run for mayor, and everybody laughed at him, you know. What, what's the Bible saying? It damages your reputation, you don't want to be the subject of locker room talk. You don't want to be the kind of girl, you don't want to be the kind of guy that everybody like holds their breath when you walk in the room because they don't trust you. It's not good. Value your reputation. And we could go on and on and on with the list of people that have embarrassed themselves so much. Pastors have embarrassed themselves, Christian leaders. I mean, man, it just never seems to end. Um, but there's spiritual implications with sexual sin too. Um, Proverbs 6.32 says, but the man who commits adultery is an utter fool. And um, it separates us from God when we live in sexual sin and it's destructive. And uh, sex is, is dangerous, but it can also be so delightful. Okay, so let's look finally at teaching our kids to thrive in marriage. In chapter, fifth, chapter 5, verse 15, this is what Solomon says to his sons. Drink water from your own well. Share your, share your love only with your wife. Why spill the water of your springs in public 
having sex with just anyone. You reserve it for yourselves. Don't share it with strangers. Let your wife be a fountain of blessing for you. Rejoice in the wife of your youth. She's a loving doe, a graceful deer. Let her breast satisfy you always. May you always be captivated by her love. Why be captivated, my son, with the immoral woman who, or, or embrace the breasts of an adulterous woman? For the Lord sees clearly what a man does, everything, examining every path he takes. An evil man is held captive by his own sins, and they are ropes that catch and hold him. He will die for lack of self-control. He will be lost because of his incredible folly. Now, he's saying here, listen, when you, when you reserve sex for marriage, you drink water from an artesian well. And he contrasts, look at this, he contrasts drinking spring water with drinking gutter water. Now, if you have the option between drinking water from the gutter and drinking water that is fresh and that is thrust up from the ground, I think it's pretty clear what we would all choose. I've got a couple of examples of this up here. I've got some gutter water right there. See, some of you guys thought I was going to drink that this morning. And I don't know if you can see it in the back, but gutter water is interesting because it looks clear at the top. Um, or the middle, but, it, but it's all settled out. You know, sometimes sexual sin doesn't look as bad as it is, but when you begin to shake it, then you begin to see that there's a lot more to it than you really thought. I, I see a leaf. I see some dirt. I think I saw an earthworm earlier this morning in here. It's pretty nasty. Yeah, it's gutter water. Why would anybody want to drink that when they could have this spring. Doesn't that just look good? Anybody just got thirsty? It's refreshing. It is fulfilling. It is satisfying. It is enjoyable. It, it, it quenches a deep thirst that we have. And Solomon says to his sons, listen, when you, when you practice sexuality God's way, this is what you're drinking from. You're not drinking this. You got that spring water, man. It's good. It's tasty. It's pure. It's healthy. And it's abundant. It's abundant. When we have sexual relations in marriage so this is what we get but a lot of times we're not thinking about that when we're single when we're a teenager a lot of times we're just looking at wow this sounds so awesome this is so exciting and we settle for this but all the while what we're craving is this and this is what we really desire Solomon goes on and he compares uh, sex in the context of marriage to a graceful deer. Let her breast satisfy you always. I mean, he's saying like she is a living doe. In other words, you'll be extremely attracted to that particular person. When you haven't been drinking the gutter water, then you get hooked on the spring water. One of the reasons God gave sex to marriage is for bonding, to connect. And when we go around bonding with everybody else, 
we drink from the gutter instead of drinking from the spring. Um, he says, should your springs overflow in the streets, your streams of water in the public squares? In other words, don't, man, don't settle for that. Um, he's talking about prostitutes in the street probably, but, but all sexual sins lead us to drink from the gutter. In, in chapter 5, verse 18, may the fountain, may your fountain be blessed and may you rejoice in the wife of your youth. I mean, man, when you got a good thing, you want to drink from that fountain. So what we need to be teaching kids is not just no, 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 no. No, 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 no. What we need to be teaching kids is no, because when you say no, then you say yes, 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 yes. You're holding out for something that is special. It's not just about no, 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 no. It's about abundance. It's about blessing. It's about connection. It's about the hand of God. It's about purity. It's about the dynamics of marriage and family. It, there's, there's so much that's good. We want to drink the spring water. So why are we teaching our kids? Because we want our kids to have this kind of marriage. If we've been drinking here, we want our kids to be here. We don't want them to drink what we drink. So the reason we say no is so that we can say yes. Um, in chapter 5, verse 19, it says, A loving doe, a graceful deer, may her breasts always satisfy you. May you ever be captivated by her love. Um, he, he's kind of playing on this imagery of a young buck that's finding his doe during mating season. And, and he's talking about just how beautiful and how wonderful that is. Do you see the picture there? He, he, he's, he's, he's illustrating how, how good and how beautiful it can be when people do it God's way and God's plan. Um, the ecstatic joy and infatuation um, that's described here in this word, captivated by her love, is a word that means intoxicated. In other words, being intoxicated by her love. So here's one of the best kept secrets right here. The best kept secret, one of the best kept secrets about sex is that the best sex is not found in singles bars, university campuses, and beach resorts. It's found in the home. A University of Chicago study, not a Christian study, recently indicated the sexual fulfillment of thousands of married couples. And here's what they found. They found that, that people that had the most frequent, most satisfying, and most fun sex were the people that did it in the context of marriage and they were conservative evangelical Christians who basically followed the teachings of the Bible for family and for sexuality. Isn't that amazing? You know, I was reading an article about STDs this week. And at the bottom, this professor had come up with this breakthrough idea. And that was that the way to avoid, this was so profound, nobody had ever said this before. The way to avoid STDs is for people to not have sex outside of marriage. And you would have thought, like this guy thought he was like the greatest mind in all of science. And I'm like, you know, it's so funny. God, God wrote that in the Proverbs. God wrote that in the Bible thousands of years ago. There's nothing new. <laughs> you, you think that was really clever. No, 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 no. God, God's already got that. Um, David Gudgel uh, wrote a book called Before You Live Together. 
And he said that out of eight couples who live together before they're married, four of them will split up and never marry. Okay, so that's 50%. And he said of the four that marry, three of them will divorce. Conversely, people who wait to live together, do it God's way, have a much, much higher likelihood of the marriage surviving. It's all the wisdom of God. It's, it's what God's been telling us for all these years. We just need to dig it out, think about it, and teach it to our kids because, because our kids live in a tough time. There's a lot of mixed messages. There's a lot of temptation. There's a lot of opportunity to go down the wrong path, and it leads to destruction. It leads to pain. It, it leads to heartache. It leads to disappointment. It leads to, to paths of destruction. And we don't want that. we got to fight for our families. So this week, if you've got kids that are appropriate age, I hope you'll begin to, to have those difficult conversations. If you don't have kids that are that age, I hope you'll anticipate that. Um, and you'll look forward to having these conversations because we... We want to fight for our families because we don't want kids to drink this. We want them to have this right here. Let's pray together. Lord.